Let's pray for this time we have together. Our Father, we give you thanks. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you summon your people. We have, we have, um, we have sung your praises. We have confessed our sins to you. We, uh, we have offered to you our tithes and offerings. We've, we, have, we, have, um, we have confessed our faith, Lord. And now, Lord, minister to us by the power of your spirit as only you are able. Send forth your light and truth. Let them guide us. Let them fill us with the knowledge of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us anew afresh that we might see you and follow you wherever you lead us, ultimately to glory. We pray in your name. Amen. So, question. What's your story? When you get up in the morning, what is your life about? Now, already you might be, like, you know, maybe pushing back a little bit. It's like, listen, man, when I get up in the morning, I've got work, I've got pressure, I've got expectations, I've got, I've got family, I've got life, I've got kids, I've got expenses. I'm just trying to keep things together. One thing I don't have time to do is reflect on exist existential questions about what my life is about. Okay, I hear you. But, but that right there, that's a story. That is what your life is is about. Whether we are being reflective or not, right, there's a reason that we make the big decisions that we make and the reason that we make the smaller everyday decisions that we make. Right? There's, there's, there's something that we're living for, something that our lives are about, and it could be the story that our society tells us our life is about, and we are simply doing our best to keep we adopt it as our own story and make it our own. Who is the author of your story? This is from the uh, great um, 20th century British writer, G.K. Chesterton. He said, I have always felt life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Who is the author of your story? So that brings us to our text this morning which is from Mark chapter 14, verses 27 to 42, and then verses 66 to 72. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now picking up in verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and, and wept. This is the word of the Lord. So I know that uh, last week, I guess Holy Week, as uh, Good Friday and Easter, and here we are returning to uh, the events themselves because, well, ultimately it is our Lord's death and resurrection are the events that bring us together every single Sunday. So we can never look at them enough or examine them enough or because they are ultimately their depths are, are infinite. So we go back to those, these events that make us who we are. And we come to the night on which the, before our Lord Jesus was crucified. And we can divide our reading into two parts, the heart of man and the heart of God. Though the division isn't quite so neat because we only know our own hearts as we know God, and Jesus is himself the God-man. Still, it's a way for us to organize our reading and to enter into it. So, Jesus says to his guys, it's about to go down. What I have said is going to happen, will now happen, and you're all going to abandon me. You're going to fall, and you're going to fail. And Peter says, listen, maybe all the rest of them, but not me. I've got your back. I'm with you all the way, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, oh, Peter, Peter, tonight, just within a few hours, you will deny that you even know me three times. And Peter says, oh, no, you've got me all wrong. I'm ready to be with you. Maybe, maybe they, you know, these, these guys, they don't know themselves, but I know myself. I'm going to show you what I'm all about. I will never, ever disown you. Peter is very sure of himself. He is emphatic. Jesus knows Peter. Peter doesn't know Peter. You don't know you. You're just as emphatic as Peter that you know, but you don't know. We think just like Peter, that everyone else doesn't know himself, but I know myself, the way I really am. We don't know. And that's really hard for you to accept. That's hard for me to accept. In theory, we know it's true. But in the moment, in the specific, we don't believe it. Psalm 19.12, who can discern his own errors? 
Jeremiah 17.9, which might be familiar to some of you. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, maybe less familiar is Jeremiah 17.10, which comes right after Jeremiah 17.9, where it says, I, I the Lord, search the hearts and test the minds. Peter doesn't know Peter. Jesus knows Peter. Every word the Lord speaks about Peter is realized exactly as he says. Jesus knows you. The Lord knows you. God knows you. And this word that we have right here tells us about ourselves in a way that we would otherwise never, ever know. When we look, and you look in here, what do you find? You find a mirror to your souls. You find, you learn things about yourself that you would have never, ever known otherwise. Brothers and sisters, you must spend time with the Lord through his word, by his spirit, who applies his word to you to tell, for, you, for him to tell you about you. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, tell me about me. And if you and I don't do this, we will walk around emphatically believing things about ourselves that are the exact opposite of what's true. Now, knowing ourselves isn't actually something that we do on our own, but we do it with others together. Christianity is personal Intensely, deeply personal, but it is not individual. Personal, but not individual. So this is Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin tells us lies that resonate with our own sinful hearts to turn us away from the living God. And one of the primary ways that, God, that, that our hearts are searched by the word of God, according to the spirit of God, is, by, by having, is through others who themselves are having their hearts searched by the word of God, uh, by the spirit of God through the word of God. Right? God brings you together. People who are seeking to have God search their hearts by his word and spirit, God brings you together. Right? And so you must have people in your life who are God's instruments to tell you the truth about you, that are God's voice to you, that are, that are agents of God's spirit to you to have him search your heart. According to Hebrews, you need this how often? Every day. This is God. The Bible is unmistakable that we don't know ourselves. But God gives you himself. He gives you his word. He gives you his spirit. And he gives you his brothers and sisters that you might see yourself through his eyes. And you need this dy dynamic of truth and love from God and from his people to be the rhythm of your life. This is one of the reasons that God has brought you together, Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church, is for this purpose, that you would speak one of the ways, right, love one another. That's throughout the scriptures, love one another. But one of the primary ways you love one another is by speaking the word of God to each other. 
and reminding one another of these truths that are more precious than anything. This is God's command to you. It's not mine. It's his to you. He says, do this, exhort one another every day. So I pray that you would take these things to heart. Now, one of the reasons that Peter doesn't know um, himself is because he doesn't know Jesus in the way that he thought he knew Jesus. Now, he knew. Peter knows, right? He knows that, right? Like he, he knows him, but there's, there's, there was more to discover. There's always more to discover. Up until this point in time, Peter knows that Jesus is the one that he must follow, that he's the one he must unite himself to. So in John chapter 6, towards, it's a very long chapter, and towards the latter part of the chapter, Jesus begins saying all of these things that are offending his hearers. And people begin to walk away. And Jesus, on some level, increases the offense, at least insofar as they're concerned. And more people walk away. And suddenly, all that's left is the 12. And he turns to them and he says, will you leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where are we going? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we are convinced and persuaded that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going? If not you, then who? Right? And, and, and so Peter gets that. There's, there's a title of a book. It's called Christ or Chaos. It's by an author named Dan DeWitt. It's a little book, and if you know about little books, usually the good books are little books. It's hard to write a really good big book, it seems to me, because good books get to the point, and they kind of just, they're, they're anyway, so the, so. Christ, or actually, I would recommend Christ or Chaos to any person in your life, especially a young person, maybe a high school student, college student. Very good resource. But really, that's the reality. It's Christ or Chaos. It's either Jesus or the dark, meaningless, chaotic void. Those are the two options. There's no third option, and Peter gets that. And I trust and hope that many of you this morning get that too, because on some level, it's what it means to be a Christian is to realize if not Jesus, then what? There is no other choice. And so Peter gets that, but then right here at the end, the Jesus who is, the one who is the Lord of glory, the one who is the incarnate Son of God, turns out to be different from the Peter Jesus expects. And so Peter ends up being repelled. He ends up being offended and separating himself from Jesus when confronted with having to make a choice. He had no idea. Peter had no clue. Until that very moment when he was confronted with having to make a choice, Peter had no sense that this was where he was at. Are you prepared to make that choice? This is probably my favorite C.S. Lewis quote of all time. This is from his book, A Grief Observed. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast, which means image breaker. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And most are offended 
by the iconoclasm and blessed are those who are not. There will come a point in time when Jesus Christ, our Lord, will offend you. He will be different from what you want him to be and what you expect him to be. And then what will you do? To whom will you go? What is your story? Who's in charge of your life? Is it you who doesn't know himself? Or is it Jesus who knows you and loves you at the same time? To whom will you go? Now, if Jesus had fought the way Peter expected Jesus to fight, I think he might have stuck with it. He might have actually lived up to his word. Because remember, Peter brought a sword. That's what we read. Because we, um, we read that in John's Gospel, that it's Peter's the one who brought a sword to, to what he anticipated would be the fight. But what does Jesus say to him? Put away your sword. Or how do I fight without a sword? Now what? What do I do? Question. Does that mean that Jesus didn't fight at all? No. The point isn't that Jesus doesn't fight. Jesus does not not fight. I know that's a double negative against the rules, but you get what I'm saying. Jesus conquers. Jesus crushes the serpent's head. Jesus slays the dragon. Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus fights, but Jesus fights differently for different goals. Jesus isn't interested in fighting what we ordinarily fight for. What Peter was ready to fight for, what you and I fight for, is temporal and superficial. Our fights, our conflicts, seek to preserve our place in a sinful, dying world facing judgment in hell. Give me, give me that real estate. I got to have it. I got to have more of it. It's mine. That's what I want. Our fights change nothing. What Jesus fights for is eternal and complete, of ultimate depth and value. What Jesus fights for changes the world. For what Jesus fights for and gives his life for is the conquest of the human heart to make it his own. What Jesus fights for is the removal of the heart of stone to give us hearts of flesh that are his in which he reigns supreme. Though Peter didn't know it, Jesus was fighting for Peter. Jesus fights for you. He fights to make you his. He fights to make you wholly his. He fights for a holy people who are wholly his. Brothers and sisters, what do you fight for? What do you give everything you have for? What do you devote yourselves to? What is your story? Is it the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ down to the depths of your soul and, and through you to others? Is it that his name would be hallowed and his kingdom would come and will would be done? What are you living for? Are you fighting Jesus' way for what Jesus died and rose again to give you? To give you today and to give you forever. He died for that, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised to life. Now we turn to the heart of God. Or more properly, the heart of the God-man. So it says, after Jesus tells Peter what he's going to do, it says he took Peter, James, and John with him. 
So he knows what Peter's going to do. He knows what they're all going to do, and yet he brings them close to him, closer. He remains completely committed to them. What you and I instinctively do doesn't have a place for loving, being committed to those who deny us, those who fail us, those who abandon us. That's not part of any of our stories. We don't write stories like that, right? That's not how it works. We say to such people, what? Away with, like, away with me. You, away with you. We can't be in relationship anymore. I can't trust you. You're, not, you're a person who in my great moment of greatest need has proved himself untrustworthy. But that's not how Jesus does things. He says, basically, you're a terrible sinner. You're a coward and a liar who's going to abandon me, fail me, and deny me. Come with me. I want you to be mine. I will love you forever. Jesus Christ makes a family, a kingdom of such people, of you and me. John's gospel puts it like this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's committed to you to the end, all the way through. He loves you to the end, knowing all about you. His love is steadfast, unfailing, enduring all of your sin and enduring through all of his suffering. Do you see that? Do you believe that this morning? Do you, does your life depend on that being true? To whom will you go? What is your story? Then in the next few sentences in verses 33 to 36, we read among the most remarkable words that have ever been written. He began, I'm going to read them again. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is overwhelmed. He is deeply distressed. The word troubled here can, be, can mean amazed or astonished. What was it that overwhelmed Jesus, that amazed him, that astonished him, that horrified him? Jesus stared into and had fall upon him, your sin and my sin and all of our sin. This is the horror and awfulness and ugliness and depravity and godlessness of sin. Brothers and sisters, this is what caused the Son of God to be horrified, to be astonished. He was astonished. He was overwhelmed when the reality of sin began to overtake him. It caused him to drop to his knees and to cry out in anguish. Can we take to heart what brought such horror and astonishment to Jesus' heart? The reality is this. The world, the devil, and our very own sin nature makes sin look, look and feel normal. And righteousness seems strange. We are very comfortable with sin. It's just something we walk around with. It's part of, part of who we are. And we, are f- and we can be friends with it or at least make peace with it. But when Jesus actually ha- be- tasted it for a moment and began to have it absorb his holy soul, 
It caused him to become undone. Can we hate and detest and with the help of God's spirit through faith separate ourselves from that which is so hideous and awful, our sin? Abhor what is evil? Jesus absorbed what is abhorrent so that we would not live in it any longer. To break its power. Friends, at the end of the day, the only way to not hate yourself is to hate your sin. Those are the two possible hatreds. Self-hatred or sin hatred. Self-hatred and hatred of others or sin hatred. They go together. Like, I mean, they, they are irre- they don't, they, 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 those are the two choices. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of insight into your own sin that so repulsed our Lord and King. Say, Lord, please help me to see what you saw when you began to see my sin that caused you to drop to your knees. Now, as Jesus has our sin fall upon him, he also experiences separation from God, darkness, hopelessness, despair, the holy wrath of God and anger of God against sin and against sinners. That's what's in front of him. Overwhelming him, crushing him, it is awful, and yet he holds on. As he loved his own to the end, he loved God his Father to the end. Abba, not my my will, but yours be done. This is what makes him who he is. This is what defines him. In the crucible, in the fire, in the time of his greatest suffering, as his heart is flooded with the pain of sin, he perseveres, he endures in faithful love, to the end for your sake and he can help you to do the same in your time of greatest need and temptation turn to him ask him for help he's not a set of propositions he's the living lord of glory who reigns at the father's right hand whoever lives to intercede for you cry out to him when it gets hard, when you feel that temptation, when you feel that sin encroaching and beginning to taste good and becoming attractive and you can see yourself headed down that path, say, Lord, help me. Help me. Cry out. It is for this reason that he came. He did not drink. He will, he will see his work, the result of his work, and be satisfied. He will not, he is determined for the fulfillment of the work of his hands that were nailed to that cross and to use that same power and authority to help you in your time of need. Go to him and find mercy and grace. If you fail, then come back and confess. But but, but, but maybe before you've fallen, before that has overtaken you, cry out to him and he can help you to endure because he endured all the way through and all the way to the end. What is your story? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of of your faith. Now, as you see him, right, and and, and you respond to him, he brings you with him to where he is. Jesus knew that his death was not the end of the story, was not the end of the matter. For Jesus, there was resurrection joy on the other side of the sorrow of sin. There was joy through the sorrow. 
It's the only way to joy. And that's why in verse 28, after he says to his disciples that he will suffer and they will fall, he says what in verse 28? After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying to them, this isn't the end. I will triumph. I will rise and I will gather you to myself so that my resurrection becomes your resurrection. Now what's, if you've read the Gospels, familiar with them, or even if you're not, this is something he said to his disciples repeatedly. I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and on the third day I will rise. But they can't hear it. <laughs> they just, they, it never penetrates. Why? Because Jesus is telling them a story that they can't accept. So although there, there's this amazing promise of resurrection, at the end of it, they can't hear it. Because to them, it's unimaginable. But it's the story of death to resurrection. It's suffering to glory. They have other plans. Their plan, their plan just simply gets, wants to get to the other side, the, the good side. But how are they going to get there? They don't know. But they're hoping Jesus can get them there somehow, but not like this. Brothers and sisters, what are your plans? Do you have other plans besides God's plan? The one he's already written and lived and now invites you to live into and to live in. Friends, this is the only way. It's the story of the scriptures. It's the story of the world. Deliverance from sin through suffering. First his and then yours in him. You will face dread, you will face darkness, you will face distress. And if you face them without the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be crushed, you'll be overwhelmed, you'll be destroyed, and you will experience a despair that never, ever runs out. Ever. But if when he says to you, come with me, in whatever condition you're in, whatever sin you're in, whatever weakness you're in, whatever suffering you're in, whatever trouble you're in, you simply take his hand, then you are his, and he will never, ever, ever let you go. He will bring you through the other side to resurrection. So that in whatever you experience, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Whatever sufferings come your way, make you more like him and work his resurrection power in you. What are you facing? What are you dealing with? What are you afraid of? What do you dread? The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. Jesus says, I will rise and I will go ahead of you. And then he says, remember those words. Friends, what's your story? To whom will you go? What is your life about? Do you, if you're, you're alive in this world, you know the way things are. Where does your hope lie? May your story be the story of the author himself who loves you to the end. Let him search your heart and make it his own. And together, 
Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Follow him wherever he leads you, ultimately to resurrection and to glory. May that be your story this morning. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's the old story, yet it is always new. May it be new to us this morning. Oh, Lord, come search our hearts. <laughs> Jesus, test our anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in us and help us to see ourselves in your light. Thank you for drinking that cup of sorrows, that cup of sin that overwhelmed you, that crushed you. Save us from it to redeem us, to make us your own. And help us to see you as you are, to trust you and to see only you, Jesus. It's you or nothing else. You're the only one who conquer, whose conquering love loves to the end, loves through death, loves through suffering, loves through it all, and brings us resurrection and glory. May you be glorified in our midst this morning. May you apply this word by your Holy Spirit to Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. They might rejoice in you, their God and Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. In your name we pray, in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www mercyhillingj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.